His name is Jihadi Jack. That is the uh, nickname for a guy by the name of uh, Jack Lutz, who is a British-Canadian man who's accused of traveling to Syria to fight for ISIS, was reportedly stripped of his British citizenship. And um, he grew up in Oxford in the UK, and now the the, uh, Brits are saying he's your problem. Government of Canada say in a statement released yesterday by Public Safety Minister Ralph Goodale uh, that they are aware the United Kingdom revoked his citizenship and terrorism knows no borders, so countries need to work together to keep each other safe. Canada is disappointed that the United Kingdom has taken this unilateral action to offload their responsibilities. Basically, his parents want him to come to Canada. Here's his dad talking yesterday to Roy Green. No, I don't think he ever joined ISIS. I think um, that he went out there for the reasons, like for, for his, he was younger, he was a bit messed up. Uh, he certainly chose to go to ISIS, and everyone says, well, he, you know, he, he chose his route, so now he has to pay the price. Well, he chose to go, to, to go into ISIS-controlled territory, that's true, although there were, there were hundreds, thousands of groups operating. But he also chose to stand against ISIS. He was put on trial three times by ISIS. Um, they put him on trial in Mosul, for example, because he condemned ISIS as being un-Islamic. He was under house arrest three times. The last time he escaped, and they said, we catch you again, you're going to be killed. All right. It's uh, it's time to bring in Mubin Sheikh here. Mubin is a former CSIS operative and counterterrorism expert. Mubin, welcome to the show. Uh, this is going to be a big story, especially rolling into the election year, you know, when the conservatives are going to point at the liberals and say, you know, well, you gave uh, Omar Khadr $10 million. Uh, this is another example of, you know, if you decide to bring this guy back to Canada, being easy on uh, Islamic terrorists. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, putting the partisan stuff aside, of course, um, we, you know, Canada has made it very clear uh, that we are not going to be going out of our way to repatriate these people. Um, There's a lot of pressure, of course, coming from policy types, uh, support groups, you know, NGOs that are saying that we do have a moral responsibility they are our citizens. Yes, that you know the it's reprehensible that they've joined ISIS and we're a part of that. But uh, we, as a country, have legal obligations to them. The other side, of course, is that no, we don't. Uh, you can a Canadian can still be a Canadian, can still be a Canadian, but in a foreign prison because they committed crimes in foreign lands. So their citizenship doesn't protect them from the justice system of other countries. Now, the problem is is that the countries that are going to step up is really going to be Iraq. And Iraq has been executing people left, right, and center. Now, you know, some of Western countries want assurances or try to get assurances from the Iraqi government uh, that they're not going to execute the citizens. But, I mean, you know, what kind of guarantees are those really? So, you know, France has kind of looked uh, the other way. Uh, and, and I understand where the U.K. is coming from. The U.K. has... 400 ISIS returnees that have already returned, 400. And the most recent uh, statistics is one in 10 of those are prosecuted. So this is the problem. While it sounds real nice in Mm -hmm. theory to say that let's prosecute them and put them on trial, that's easier said than done. And that's the problem. And there's a big problem. If we brought Let's Jihadi Jack back here, um, you know, you can be prosecuted for terrorism offenses in Canada if you leave Canada 
to facilitate terrorism activity. But he didn't leave Canada. He left Britain to do it. So there's even a question on if we could prosecute this guy. Mm -hmm. That's a very good point. That is a very good point. In fact, I would just I would say that even if you got him on a participation in terrorist activity or membership in a terrorist organization, he'll get a few years max and then he'll be out. And and the, really the question we have to ask ourselves is why would we want to go out of our way to fly these people back? I mean, it is a slap in the face to every Syrian refugee who we took in, every Yazidi refugee that we took in, who risked life and limb, who lost lives and limbs, for what? So that we, you know, have to let them go because we couldn't prosecute them adequately? Mubin, so, you, in, you, you deal with these, you know, you've, you've sat down with people that are, you know, um, terrorists or, or have been charged with terrorism-related uh, crimes. And I'm just, I'm, I'm curious, because I think a lot of people, you know, heard his father, and, you know, it's his, it's his kid. So he's going to, you know, err on the side of, uh, I don't want to believe my kid could be, yeah. in, could do something like this. He said at the beginning of that clip that we played um, before you came on with me that, it, you know, his son was lost and he went to ISIS and then he said, but he didn't join ISIS. In your opinion and what you know, you know, why would an 18 year old go to Syria and, to ISIS and not join ISIS? Yeah, look, first of all, anytime parents speak on, on behalf of their son or their kid who's caught up like this, you have to take it with a truckload of salt. It, it, this happens all the time, all the time. Uh, whether it doesn't matter. I mean, Alexander Bissonnette, the guy who shot up the Quebec mosque, same thing. The parents were like, oh, he's getting a raw deal, right? Even these parents, I mean, they were told his son was radicalizing. You know, they, they thought that they were going to be, you know, supportive and give him money to go and travel and study Arabic, which is what he was claiming he was doing. But they, they knew what he was doing, right? And, what, I mean, going to Syria, listen, it, it is not possible to be in Syria in ISIS territory and you have not given allegiance to ISIS. That's just not possible. So uh, that I just cannot believe that's just completely false. Uh, but I understand he's trying to make excuses that, okay, at some point maybe he realized, you know, ISIS is really bad, they're not Islamic, and they arrested him three times. But it couldn't have been that serious because ISIS would execute people if they found that they were going to turn on them. Uh, just quickly back to what makes an 18-year-old go. Look, there's so many factors at play here. Uh, a lot of people are invoking the, the Syrian war, uh, the fact that Bashar al-Assad is killing innocent civilians. They wanted to go and join a group that, you know, purportedly was there to save the civilians from Bashar al-Assad. But I, I don't believe that that part of the argument because people who went went because they believed that you have to live under an Islamic caliphate and you have to leave the country in which you're living to go and join that caliphate. That's the reason why a lot of most of these people went. Sure, there are side reasons trying to do the right thing, helping the oppressed. Uh, Syrian civilians, but uh, I mean, for how long? How long did that 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 act last? Uh, there is a, a national security expert, Leah West. She was talking to the CBC yeah. and told them that there's no obligation to put Canadian lives at risk to repatriate Jack Letts and other Canadian ISIS fighters who are currently detained in Kurdish. Uh, custody, but it might not be an obligation on the government legally to bring these people home. But it's the right thing to do in terms of the security and safety of Canadians, which I'm sure a lot of people just heard me say and um, you know shook their heads at. What do you make of that? 
Yeah, the the argument that's trying to be made here is that by leaving them, all, all these ISIS members over there in foreign territory, in foreign custody, uh, we're basically creating Caliphate 2.0. And there is some truth to that. I mean, I'm going to say, you know, if there is going to be a Caliphate 2.0, I'd rather it be behind, you know, a barbed wire fence and in a, in a prison camp uh, than, than loose on our streets. So the problem comes, what happens if these guys escape? Uh, what happens if the Kurds realize, you know, we can't keep these people, forget it, just release them? Uh, you know, but I'm going to make the counter-argument that, look, even if they were to get out of a Kurdish camp, it is going to, you know, it's going to be really, really hard for them to get anywhere because everybody is going to be looking for them. The Shia militias, the Iraqi military, the Syrian military, the coalition. So they're not going to get anywhere close to Canada before, you know, to, to become any kind of threat. Sure, we don't want to see them appearing in, you know, some ISIS video later down the road because we didn't take them back. But again, do we, do we think that by taking them back, they're going to think, you know, Canada is a great country and we're great people, and they're going to come to respect our values and principles? No, they're not. They're going to, their grievance is going to be, well, you left us already in that Kurdish prison camp. And in fact, let me finish with this. The legal argument could go, you were talking about the Omar Khadr argument, and I know a lot of people are thinking, like, we don't want to have to bring these people back to give them millions of dollars. But here's the argument. We were... We were kept in Kurdish custody uh, unlawfully. And number two, we were tortured, so pay up. Right. So that, that could be an argument that they, they, they could make. And this is why it makes sense for us as, as, as Canada to resist as, as much as possible any attempt to repatriate these individuals. Because it could literally cost us millions. Yeah. Is there any threat to them uh, coming here with an ideology and trying to cha- uh, tr- change people's minds here? Absolutely, absolutely. Because listen, it's 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 better for them to be under the watch of foreign nations. Like I said, there's a there's a huge list of people who are looking to go after them. If they were to be brought here, you know, they would be offered protections that they just simply don't deserve. Right? We brought in refugees. These are the people that we said we were going to help. Those are the people we should continue to help. These people, they made their bet. It's time to lie in it. Do you think this is UK's problem? Look, the UK's got a much, much bigger problem. Uh, I mean, he's just one guy that they can offload. Like I mentioned, mm-hmm. 400 returnees have already come back, and they say one in 10 have been prosecuted, but that's a, a statistic. I can tell you maybe five out of those 400 have actually been successfully prosecuted, and even then it's only a few years imprisonment. And, and for what? I mean, we knew, we know the kinds of things that these people were doing. We're not going to be able to prove murder in a Canadian court when all the witnesses are still in Syria. Well, and so the I only think- and the only way that this guy he admitted to doing it to the BBC, his parents say that he they believe he was tortured before he admitted it. So they all they have oh, is an admission. They don't have anything else to tie him to uh, terrorism besides the fact that he went over there. Moving very quickly, you know, do you think, so the U.K. reportedly stripped him of his citizenship. He's never lived in Canada. His dad, I think, is Canadian. His mom is British. He was born in the U.K. and has never lived in Canada. Should we have taken that step and beat them to the punch? Like, are we completely naive here? Well, it comes down to the argument of stripping citizenship. Uh, and, I mean, again, that can go both ways. There are arguments for it. There are arguments against it. You could say, theoretically, that if we did have a law on the books that we stripped citizenship, then 
we could have done that. But I think the Canadians would have been thinking what we think the British were, were thinking and saying, no, we're not going to do that because he's a Canadian-British dual citizen and because we're allies and we work together, let's work it out. I don't think we would have stripped his citizenship and left it to the U.K., uh, but uh, unfortunately, that's exactly what the U.K. did to us. So they realize it's just on a, on a paperwork basis. They don't care that he didn't live in Canada, this and that. They're like, listen, he's got dual citizenship. We're going to strip his other, other citizenship. They're and watching they out for the U.K. They don't care yeah, about the alliance. They have a much, much bigger problem than we do. So it's really what it comes down to. Mubin, I always appreciate your, your take on this. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, I live and breathe this stuff, so yeah, you're welcome. You're the guy. Thanks so much. Mubin Sheikh, former CSIS operative and counterterrorism expert, talking about uh, Jihadi Jack, that he's been stripped of his uh, UK citizenship, and uh, Ralph Goodale is not happy about the fact that they the UK revoked his citizenship. Now he's a Canadian citizen only, despite the fact that he's never lived here. And Ralph uh, went on to say terrorism knows no borders, so countries need to work together to keep each other safe, and we're disappointed that the U.K. has taken this unilateral action to offload their responsibilities 